You know, they say that after every wedding comes a marriage. Well, if you're past the honeymoon phase, there are probably a few things about your mate that you wish were different. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. Love doesn't envy the spouse that it doesn't have. Once you get married, you're probably gonna realize the person you married is not the person you thought they were. And if all you do for the rest of your married life is fantasize about the person that you wish you'd married, you're envious. Love accepts my spouse for the person that they are. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. I heard Bob Lapine from Family Life Today once tell about a bride on her wedding day. The back doors of the sanctuary swung open. She looked down the aisle. She saw the altar. The organ was playing the processional hymn, and those three words kept going over and over in her mind. Aisle, altar, hymn. Aisle, altar, hymn. I'll alter him. The truth of the matter is, every husband or wife starts out marriage with certain expectations. And pretty soon, they figure out that married life has lots of surprises, both positive and negative. And whether they're newly married or celebrating their 60th anniversary this year, there are still disappointments that we all have to deal with. And no, it doesn't work to think, I'll alter him or I'll change her. Here on Resonate, Pastor Trent and his wife, Andrea, have been helping us see some of the myths related to marriage. Myths that many of us slip into thinking are true. Trent will review the myths that we've already seen in just a moment. But if you'd like to go back and listen to past Resonate programs, you can always do so by going to harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Again, that's harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Trent and Andrea Griffith gave this message in June of 2018, just days before their daughter's wedding. Here's Trent Griffith. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to share with you a story at the end of the service that uh, really forged my confidence in the power of God's Word to change a life based on the passage that we're about to read. But let me remind you what we're doing here, okay? I am not pastoring today. I am parenting today. Because this is the week that we've all waited for. These two lovebirds down here on the front row are going to get married on Friday night. And this is my last opportunity to give them some premarital counsel. And so I'm going to need your help in cheering me on here. Um, I need to teach Brooke and David how to love one another. We've been looking at these myths about marriage. The first myth is that marriage is obsolete. If you survey the young population today, they will tell you marriage is old-fashioned. You don't need that anymore. It's obsolete. What we're learning is God says that marriage is to be held in honor above all, and we need to understand marriage is good. Marriage is good for you. Then last week, we looked at the myth that marriage will make me happy. Those of you that are married know that's not true, right? But people that are just getting married think, man, if I could just get married, all my problems would be solved and I would be happy. What we've learned is marriage makes us better. And if you get better, then you're going to be happier. So that brings us to the third myth, and this is it today. Myth number three, 
love will hold my marriage together. That's not true. That's not true at all. Anywhere in the Bible, that is not true. Here's the truth. Marriage will hold my love together. You see, we need something more than a feelings-based love. If you ask the average couple, why are you getting married? These young lovers will tell you, we're getting married because we're in love. How many of you are in love? Raise your hand if you're in love. In love, great, great. If you're married, you better raise your hand. Okay, so, uh, but, but here's the thing. Love takes on an entirely different meaning after you get married. You see, young lovers will tell you, well, yeah, we're, we're, we have these intense emotional feelings. Number one reason people get married, we have these intense emotional feelings. We can't live without each other. Do you know what the number one reason people give for getting divorced? Intense emotional feelings. So we need something more than feelings-based love if our marriage is going to thrive and survive. This has been scientifically proven. One of the books that's really been helpful to me as I've been studying on marriage is this book called Marriage Rebranded by Tyler Ward. And this is what he says. Science proves that the happy feelings in the early states of love have been proven to be consistent neurochemical reaction. What you're feeling is just a bunch of chemicals bouncing off your brains. And it's just like making you like goo goo and that. That's, it's just chemical reaction, okay? Nothing wrong with that, but notice it doesn't last very long. He says, biology calls this the state of infatuation. This reaction and all of the exhilarating emotions it offers young lovers can't sustain itself any longer than 24 months confirming that the unnatural reality of life in marriage can't hide behind happiness-based affection very long. How many of you want Brooke and David to stay married longer than 24 months? And so we're going to need something more than neurological chemical reactions exploding in the brain. When that goes back to normal, now what do you got? And so we're going to learn a different definition of love. And it's contained for us right here in 1 Corinthians 13. I would like to read to you God's definition of love. It begins in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. You know what's interesting about that passage? Nothing I read has anything to do with the way that you feel on any particular day. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. It's a verb. And so as we study this today, we're going to learn there's something different between what we think love is in the early stages of marriage and what it actually is that we discover later on. In just a few minutes, the mother of the bride's going to join me up here because many of you are wives and it means a lot more coming from a wife that's actually had to deal with a remedial lover most of her life to talk about how we're to love one another. I've spent a lot of times with young people. I used to be a youth pastor and I've talked to a lot of 13-year-old girls who think they have fallen in love. 
And I'm like, tell me about that. I was just, I just fell in love. I'm like, listen, you don't fall in love. You fall into holes. You fall into ditches. And they, they break up. You know, they break up after two weeks. Well, what happened? Well, we just fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of windows. You fall out of bed. But you don't fall in and out of love. Love is not something that happens to you. Love is a choice. You've heard it said, you know, other couples say, well, we, we got married because we're just so attracted. This is the most beautiful person in the world. I can't live without this person. I just, I want to see them every day. You've heard it said, beauty is only skin deep. You've heard that said, right? What you find out after marriage is ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> and after you get married, some of the ugly starts to make its way to the surface. It's in those moments that your love gets tested when you have to love the ugly as well as the beauty. I was trying to think this week, I wonder when the first time I told Andrea, I love you. And I tried to think and I, I actually couldn't remember that at all, which proves the first time I said it, I probably didn't love her. I probably was just saying, I love how good you look. I love attention, I love affection, I love dating, I love love. Actually, I, I love me, that's all I'm actually saying is I love me. That's what a lot of times we mean the first time we say I love you. So we need different definitions for love. You know, in the Bible, um, you know, the Bible in the New Testament was written in the Greek language and it's really hard to translate the meaning of love in our one English word, love. Anybody that knows me loves, knows that I love tacos and I love football and I love Andrea. But how many of you understand? I mean three entirely different things because if I really love the taco, I wouldn't butcher the cow for the steak in the taco. I didn't really love the cow. I just, I just actually just love me, right? And, but if I love Andrew, that's a completely different thing. In the, in the Greek, there's actually four different words for love. Three of those Greek words are used in the New Testament. The first one is a word you're familiar with. It's the word phileo. We have a city in Pennsylvania named after this kind of love. What's that city? It's uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which if you've ever been there, it's, you know, that's an oxymoron. So, uh, you know, it's, it's like, these are cruel people there. Um, so the city of brotherly love. How many of you have a brother? Raise your hand if you have a brother. Now, it's always fun to watch when I ask people to raise their hand. This is what, what inevitably happens. People raise their hand, cock their head and smile. And they think of, is that what you think of when you think of your brother? Do you love your brother? Yeah, the big beluga, you know. So you love your brother in a different way than you love your spouse. You didn't get to choose your brother, did you? <laughs> no, I would have made a completely different choice. But you, you had to get along because you shared space and you end up sharing life experiences with one another. And after 40 years, you get together at the Thanksgiving table and you share these fun stories that you encountered together where you actually beat them snot out of each other um, as, as brothers, right? But this, this is an, a brotherly affection because you shared life with them. There's a second kind of love in the scripture and it's, it's the word eros. That's the Greek word. And we get our English word erotic from this word eros. They give you a pretty good idea of what that word means? Yeah, it's a sensual love. It's a sexual love. It's a physical love. 
Now, nothing wrong with eros love for married people. Unfortunately, the only kind of love our culture seems to know anything about is eros love. It's all about sensual. It's all about sexual. And God has a completely different understanding. Uh, We get a different understanding of love when we finally get to this third word. It's the word agape. When we read about love in 1 Corinthians 13, the word that we read is agape. The word means self-sacrificing love. It means love gives. It means every time I choose to love, there is something that goes out of me. It cost me something to love. I pay a price for love in order to invest in the life of the person that I am marrying or the person that I love. And by the way, if you're not married here today, this is the kind of love that we love our fathers, our mothers, our children, our spouses. It's, it's what we're supposed to have in the church, a love for one another. But let me say this, before we talk about all this horizontal love, what I just read for you is a description of the way that God loves us. God is so patient with us. God is so kind to us. God's love endures. It hopes the best for me. And so it's as if the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote a resume of Jesus. And if you don't understand how much you are loved by God, you will not have the capacity to properly bend that vertical love horizontally to the person that you are married to. And so understand, first of all, we are loved by God. And once you understand that, love takes on a completely different meaning. Young couples commit themselves to marry the one that they love. I'm all in favor of marrying the person you love. Is that, that a good idea? That's a great idea. Here's a better idea. Love the one you marry. And that's what we're trying to convince David of here today. So if you would look here at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm gonna invite Andrea to come up here. She's gonna help us understand some of these things from a woman's perspective. But the first thing it says here is love is patient, which means this, love waits patiently. If you are a single person dating someone, if you love someone that you are not married to and you are having sex, you are communicating to that person you don't love them. No matter what you say, love waits patiently for the context of marriage before engaging in eros, erotic love. If there is somebody trying to pressure you to do sexual favors, even though they say, I love you, what they really mean is I love me and I want you to fulfill my sensual desires. Love waits patiently. Now, once you are married, now the real waiting begins. Now you're waiting on God to change the person you married in ways that you wish you could change them. Love does not control. Love does not try to change the person that you've married. Someone who loves waits patiently on God to change the person they're married to. 
It also says love is kind, that love performs intentional acts of kindness. Now, as women here, as moms, you know it is so easy to think kind thoughts about your kids all day long or to think of fun things to do for them when you see them or they get home. But it's a lot harder to think those kind thoughts, those acts of kindness toward our husbands. I think we tend to think, well, he's a big boy. He can take care of himself. But if we're wise, we would lean into what the scripture is telling us because this relationship is the one flesh relationship. This is the relationship that doesn't end. The kids, they grow up and they leave, but we need to be practicing kindness to our spouse. Maybe that's just accomplishing a task for him. Maybe that is making sure you have his favorite meal. I don't know what it is for your marriage, but that we're being kind. This word kind, it's actually translated into the word easy, making their life easier, lighter, that we're coming alongside and helping. Also, kindness is what motivates me to leave my world and enter into the world of another. Trent does this for me all the time. He did it yesterday. But one of my favorite memories of of Trent leaving his world and entering into mine was when our son, Zach, he's 21 now, but when he was two years old, we were gonna have a two-year-old birthday party for him. Not my world. No, but mine, because it's a lot of fun. So I um, wanted to make it easy on myself, so I was just going to do cupcakes, and I was going to do baseballs and basketballs. Well, the baseballs, it was really easy to decorate, but when I got to the basketballs, I had no idea how to draw the lines so that it looked like a basketball on a flat surface. And we'd invited about 50 people, you know, all the families, they're all coming, and we're running out of time, and I realized I have no idea how to decorate a basketball. But I think, no problem, my husband's here. So I walk back to his office and I say, hey, could you come help me decorate the cupcakes? And Trent looked at me and he said, "Um, Andrea, I am a man and I do not decorate cake. Now, if you happen to be a male cake decorator, you're still welcome at Harvest, okay? That's not a statement. We're not throwing anybody under the bus there, but Kate, I just can't. It was not my world. (laughs) So I just went back into the kitchen and I started doing other things. But in my head, I was thinking, maybe if I think about this long enough, I can figure out how to do this. And all of a sudden, I heard Trent walking down the hall. And then I heard him sit down behind me. And he picked up a cupcake and an icing tube. And he was going to work. And I turned around and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm decorating cake. (laughs) And I said, why? And he said, because I love you. And at that moment, that meant everything to me because he left his world in order to help me in a high pressure situation. I've never found anything more powerful than cake decorating (laughs) to communicate love to my wife. You know why that meant so much to her that day? Because she saw me do something that God has done for us. I could not go to God's world. So what did God do? He sent Jesus to my world. Jesus left his world of comfort and ease and all powerful control. He humbled himself. He gave up so much to come to where I was. He met me where I was. And as a result, he can now take me to his world. 
And so that's what love actually is. And so much of what we do on a daily basis is leaving what is comfortable, leaving where we have control, leaving where we feel useful and skilled and valuable and entering into the world of another person where we may actually feel vulnerable and take risk. But to communicate love means I leave my world and enter into the world of another. So love waits patiently. Love performs intentional acts of kindness. Thirdly, love accepts my spouse for who he or she is. Because the scripture says love does not envy. Love doesn't envy the spouse that it doesn't have. You know the Ten Commandments, the list in the Old Testament? So the last one is this, thou shalt not covet. It means not to want something you don't have. And he lists three things that we shouldn't covet. We shouldn't want our neighbor's house. We shouldn't want our neighbor's servants. And we shouldn't want our neighbor's spouse. How practical could God be? He knew that once you get married, you're probably going to realize the person you married is not the person you thought they were. And if all you do for the rest of your married life is fantasize about the person that you wish you'd married, you're envious. Love accepts my spouse for the person that they are. Also, love does not boast. Love does not brag. I looked that up yesterday, and the definition I like the most just said to speak with exaggerated pride about oneself. No one wants to be around that person. And you may have someone coming to mind, but love instead does not think highly of itself. In fact, it doesn't think of itself at all. You know the verse in the Gospels that says, he must increase and I must decrease. That every morning we get up with the attitude of how can I love today? How can I serve today? The focus is on the Lord and then how to bend that out to other people, not on how to puff myself up. But if we are gonna brag, if we are gonna boast, we need to boast in the goodness of our spouse, in the things that they do well, in the things that drew you to them in the first place, in their presence, in the presence of your spouse, but also just in the presence of other people that we are honoring our spouse. We get to live with this gift that God has given us. And the next thing says, love is not arrogant, which means love knows how to admit a wrong. Love apologizes. Love seeks forgiveness. Love confesses sin. There's something so poisonous about pride and arrogance, and all of us are ingrained with it. It's the very root of who we are, is to make more of ourselves than we actually are. This is what pride does. It causes us to see the failures and the faults of our spouse and examine them with a magnifying glass to make it look so much bigger. And it causes us to minimize all the failures and flaws in us so that we're blind to what needs to get done in our life and we have open eyes to everything that needs to happen in our spouse's life. Love doesn't do that. Love isn't arrogant. Love is so consumed with the unfinished business in its own life It has very little time to work on all the failures and dysfunction in its spouse. Love is not arrogant. Also, love is not rude. Love is not rough or harsh or impolite. Um, Trent has told you that he grew up as an only child. 
So he didn't have any sisters, and his favorite pastime was playing football. So the people that he liked to hang out the most, he just like tackled them and roughhoused with them. And he tells me that- And talk trash to him when you got him on the ground. Yeah. That's why you show you, you love them. All those sarcastic barbs back and forth. And so that's the way he grew up. And we were dating, and there was one day that was just kind of filled with those things. I didn't tackle you. You didn't tackle me, but the sarcasm was enough. (laughs) So um, he went to stay at a friend's house and I went to bed and we were engaged at this point. And so I was reading a lot of books on marriage and I picked up the book and I opened it to where I'd left off like the night before. And the title of the chapter said, Butterflies and Buffaloes. And it talked about how... Guess um, which one I was. <laughs> it talked about how if you put like a pebble, a sarcastic comment or a rude remark or whatever, if you put this pebble on the back of a buffalo, he doesn't even notice. But if you put that same pebble onto the wing of a butterfly, they can't fly. They're just sunk. And we have to know which one our spouse is. We have to know what is rude to our spouse or what is honoring to our spouse and make sure we're speaking that language because perception is reality for that person. So we have to understand each other's languages. The next one says, love does not insist on its own way. Love defers. This is the whole root of marriage conflict and the reason we can't seem to resolve marriage conflict is because one or both parties will simply not defer to the other. We are so convinced we are right, we are willing to win the battle and lose the war. Love lays down its rights to be right and love humbles itself and and allows the other person to have their way. Um, Andrew and I have a list of things that we are completely opposite in. We won't go into detail. We would be here for a long time. But we won't go into detail about all the different ways that we are uh, opposite. I can't tell you how weak Andrea drinks her coffee. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so we've had to learn that her way is not wrong. We've had to learn her way is not wrong it's just super weird. I mean, it's just, it's strange. But I've had, I, and we I have, have had to learn that his way is not wrong. It's just different. We just do things differently. Right. And so love doesn't insist on its own way. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, but that he lays down his life for his friends. And then the next thing he says is, you are my friends. Jesus laid down his life. Some of us won't even lay down our way or our preference about something in order to uh, bring intimacy into the marriage. It makes a lot of sense to go phrase by phrase through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is often called the love chapter. We've been listening to Pastor Trent Griffith and his wife Andrea from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. They're reminding us that instead of the myth, love will hold my marriage together, we need to tell ourselves the truth. Marriage will hold our love together. We'll hear the rest of their message next week right here on Resonate. I mentioned this at the beginning, but don't forget that you can listen to this program anytime you want. 
If you're into podcasting, just search for Resonate with Trent Griffith wherever you get your podcasts. Or just go to our website, harvestgranger.org, and search for the word resonate. And while you're at harvestgranger.org, check out the button that says Worship With Us. It has all the information that you'll need if you'd like to join us for a service. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. While there's more to 1 Corinthians 13, in next week on Resonate, Trent and Andrea will keep walking through the phrases like, love believes all things, it hopes all things, and endures all things. They'll help us understand what it means and how we can live it out in our everyday relationships. I hope you can join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word and God's love would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.